Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 162, Natural Healing. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there. Wherever you are in the world, you are welcome. I hope you enjoyed Samhain and Halloween and are looking forward to an action-packed next few weeks. As Mars now has moved into Scorpio, away from the pleasantries of Libra, we have a Scorpio new moon and we have Scorpio energy building. What's Scorpio? Scorpio is all about going deep, being profound, being dramatic sometimes, chaos, the deep secrets, determination, the enjoyment of things that have a a lot of energy in them. And I think that we're going to see a lot of energy. We're going to see a lot of drama, maybe chaos, especially since this new moon has the new moon opposite Uranus in Taurus. Uranus, sudden change, rebellion, revolution. So when Uranus affects Scorpio, it's like, watch out. Things are suddenly going to happen. And I think it's very interesting that with Uranus in Taurus opposite the Scorpio new moon, we have this climate change meeting from all the leaders around the world. So Uranus in Taurus about nature, body, looking at how do we develop ways in which to honor nature, our bodies, food. I'm not convinced that that's what they're going to be talking about, I have to say. But what I'm interested in is what revelations are coming to the surface. So Scorpio is that which is old, which has been buried. And I'll come back to that. But in ourselves, it's also what has been buried inside us? What secrets have we kept the, in, in the closets? I've often talked about that. So you may find yourself looking at things from the past that you thought, why am I thinking about that now? That certainly has been in my life this week. Just little memories. And I've had to go back and say, who was, what was the name of that person? Because they had such an impact on me, a good impact. But I'm very aware of things coming up that I want to to honor, reflect on, forgive, let go of. So recognize that while Scorpio is around, that may be happening to you. And it's all happening for us to say, as I always say, what do I need to let go of? What is dead? Where can I move on? just to remind you that if you have Scorpio in your chart, there is a tendency that when things aren't working, you may say, I need to try harder. So if during this month you're finding yourself that something's a bit difficult and you're putting more energy in than you need to say, maybe it's not my lack of determination to make this happen. Maybe I need to step back and allow something to pass away. Just a thought. But at the same time, this scorpionic energy is a a deep feminine energy. It's ruled by Pluto. 
So what we're also seeing is a determination, a feminine determination to make changes. Scorpio is about transformation. What needs to change? And there's plenty in our world that needs to change. So we're seeing, especially mums, but also dads, stepping up with this energy of, I will protect my children. I will protect the future. This is scorpionic energy where it's saying we need to transform something. It's not let's just keep something going. What we're seeing with this energy is let us show each other what is not working. And instead of trying to make it happen, let's bring about the transformation that's required. That is new moon in Scorpio opposite Uranus in Taurus. So as we move on in this month, we've got more enjoyable things in store. Because with Mars passing into Scorpio around the 18th or 19th of November, which is coming up, we will see an opposition to Uranus. So now Mars, which is very much about passion and building on that passion of Scorpio, is going to op become opposite this Uranus in Taurus. Now, we may see more earthquakes, more volcanoes. We know there's a, a lot of activity around the world. But we may also see more revelations, more things come to the surface. And we want that. I don't think anybody believes that what's happening in the, for our future is good if it still has so much, so much about secrets and people not being living in integrity. And I think Uranus, even though it's about revolution and rebellion, as I always say, it's also about integrity. It's also about revelations and honesty. And I see that in myself and in other people. There's a desire to live in integrity now, which means to be whole, which means to take accountability for who I am and to express that into the world. And I'm watching a lot of people around me, including myself, saying, I can no longer hide parts of myself. I need to reveal those into the world and be willing to stand strong, as I spoke about last time, in my own integrity. And that's the Uranus energy. That's the Aquarian energy. Taking responsibility for our own consciousness, for our own creations. And that's all we're asking for, isn't it? We're asking everybody, our leaders, to take responsibility, to be accountable, to live in integrity. So expect the unexpected. And even though it may feel chaotic, recognize that it's time. We need to stir up that earth and allow things to come to the surface. Now, as I was looking at this happening, and I want to just add to that, that the 18th, 19th of November is also a lunar eclipse. So I'll be talking about that again, but to recognize that lunar eclipses are also about something being hidden coming to the surface. So we've got an active time coming up. But as I was looking at the craziness, one could say, of this climate conference, where so much carbon is being emitted just to get people all to come together in one place, I recognize that maybe 
their leader's idea of what I think I would like for the future may be different from, from what they're possessing or desiring to happen. And it brought me in mind of something that I'd read about recently, which was how strong the petrochemical industry was within the pharmaceutical and the medical industries. And I have to say, I'd never really looked at it that way. I had some ideas, but I wanted to bring that all together for you today because I don't know if you know just how much the oil and gas industry takes money from the medical establishments. Now, first, again, I'm not against either the medical establishments or the oil and gas industry, but I hadn't realized just how much they were connected. So let me take you back into my own world. My world was being brought up around homeopaths and healers and mediums. And within Britain, we had up, up till quite recently, a law that said that to practice homeopathy or healing was totally acceptable. It still is, but it's less acceptable because pharmaceuticals have taken over there as well. But in my day, my young day, it was perfectly acceptable for you to go to a homeopath. They may not be medically trained or a healer and to receive their knowledge, to receive their treatments. And I spent a lot of time, probably 10 years of my life, teaching within complementary medicine schools about clinical medicine. What did someone need to know in order to understand their limits, what clinical medicine meant, what an illness might mean? And I was very much at the forefront of saying all complementary practitioners, whatever their practice, need to understand anatomy, physiology, clinical medicine to a certain extent. And I'm, I'm delighted that I was part of this within the Holistic Medical Association of Great Britain to bring education forward to make it more acceptable. Because I believe in all the complementary medicine educational fields and really believe that natural medicine has a huge part to play hence the word complementary. And when I was a general practitioner, we did a survey in probably about 1985, where I asked all my patients, how many of you are using complementary medicine? And 35% of my patients said, yes, we are. And that was not about taking vitamins and minerals. That was actually going to see whether it was a healer, an osteopath, a homeopath. 35% of my 9,000 patients on our lists were seeing another therapist. Of course, what I realized that I as a doctor and my other partners didn't even know that this was happening. And so part of my practice was to make sure that everybody talked a language. So in the mid 80s, I was teaching complementary medicine within my own national health practice, as well as bringing other ideas in, such as crystal therapies or color therapies, because I wanted everybody to be aware of how many different ways we could look at our health from a true holistic point of view. It again did not take away from the fact that I was practicing medicine, giving prescriptions, 
sending people for surgery, doing minor surgeries myself, but it meant that we all were on the same page. And it feels that that was such an essential part of my practice. I also was suggesting to my, especially my families, that they would have a small, maybe five different remedies, homeopathic remedies in their cabinet, their first aid cabinet, and maybe three aromatherapy oils. And I would teach them how to use these in a very safe way, maybe as a first aid before they needed to call in a doctor. So that we would often tell our mothers or the mothers would say, I've already given the baby some steam with some eucalyptus, a drop of eucalyptus in. We always made it safe, but they would help them to breathe if they had croup, etc. Or they would give their children arnica if they were going to go for a, a, a dental treatment. These were just very simple ways of treating in a way which many of you may have already done when you were younger. Did you have what we call natural medicines in your house? Did you have what they call, you know, uh, you know, grandmother remedies that you were taught? If you've got a sore throat, do this. If you bang your knee, do that. And as I've traveled the world, I've heard of so many different ways of people using very natural ways of healing. Again, complementary, not alternative. I'm always saying, no, don't, everything has been created by God. So don't say one is better than another, but make it appropriate. When I went through my medical school, I, I started offering more and more different complementary medicines within my practice, whether it was reflexology or relaxation. And then I started studying homeopathy. And at that time, there were homeopathic hospitals within the National Health Service. I know now that that has changed. But I, because I came from Britain and we had so much complementary medicine available, I hadn't known about what had happened here in America. And it really was only when I started to work in America that I understood why many of the osteopaths were now doctors. So doctors of osteopathy had now had what we might have called a medical degree. And it was kind of confusing to me as, well, are you an osteopath or are you a doctor? And that was when I started to learn about how the industry of medicine and the petrochemical industry had got into bed with each other. So what I didn't know, and, and again, I apologize for not knowing, was that back in, I think it was 1897, one of the first drugs that was created from the petrochemical industry was aspirin. And aspirin was the combination of three different chemicals, cumin, phenol and benzene. And I didn't realize that that made up acetylsalicylic acid, aspirin. So here were three chemicals came together to create this thing that is given, I think it's 80 million doses, no, 58 million doses per year. And if we think of that, think of how many people are told, take an aspirin a day to stop yourself having a stroke or heart disease. Wow, how is that not supporting the petrochemical industry? All right. So then what happened 
1901, Rockefeller was by then a oil baron and he owned 90% of the reserves of oil in the US. And he decided that he would start to create, to get involved with the medical industry, possibly because aspirin had been developed by a German and he saw an opportunity to use oil in medicine. So in 1904, he created the Council of Medical Education. This was a man who had nothing to do with medical education, but decided to get involved. He also created the, the first American Cancer Association. And what he then did with Carnegie's help was to actually go and create what they call the Flexner Report, which was using a man called Abraham Flexner, who had absolutely no medical education at all, to go into all the medical schools and find out what they were teaching. And in 1900, there were 22 homeopathic medical schools, 100 homeopathic hospitals, and 10,000 pharmacists of homeopathy. That's just homeopathy. And when Flexner went into all these different medical schools, he was seen to decide what was okay medicine and what wasn't. And when he created the report, which was around 1909, 1910, he said we need to close at least 50% of the medical schools and reduce the amount of students because what they're teaching is not scientific. Have you heard this word before? Based on someone who had no knowledge of science, no knowledge of medicine, basically with the help of Rockefeller and Carnegie, who had already set up what they believed was good medical education, they decided that anything that did not come from what they considered was a scientific approach would be banned. And within a very short time, many of the homeopathic hospitals, schools, pharmacies disappeared. And what was seen was that the homeopathic uh, doctors were allowed to integrate into the medical system as long as they denounced homeopathy. In many ways, and I know the, the DOs here, the doctors of osteopathy still practice osteopathy, but there was a sense of, again, you do it under our regimes, you do it under our controls. And anything else is seen as illogical, illegal, and many were persecuted, many died, and it's continued. So here in America, we had two people, Carnegie and Rockefeller, who created what we now call as our medical system. And guess what? They threw a whole lot of money at the education of doctors. They do threw a whole lot of money at the hospitals, the colleges. And if they threw that money, you had to follow their rules. And what happened is that the basis of many, many drugs what they call the feedstock, 
was petrochemical. And of course, if you understand petrochemical, it's, it's old, old organic material that has de become degraded. And that's what oil and gas come from. It's literally plankton or trees that have rotted over millions of years. And that's the oil and gas. So we are using dead organic material to produce drugs. Now, even if they create a drug that is from a live, an a live animal, but a live tree, you're still using a lot of the petrochemicals to either create a preservative for this drug or a slow release drug uses petrochemicals, or sometimes it's just a synthetic drug uh, following the chemical constitution of the plant. Okay. So here we have, now we're in 2021. It's almost like nothing's changed. We are now in this place where anything that is not seen as scientifically chemical, let's call it that for what it is, is seen as, as, as rubbish. <laughs> I can't think of a better word. It's, it's trashed. And we see that with something like ivermectin. So we have a substance called ivermectin that has been laughed at because it's been used to get rid of parasites in horses. It is a Nobel-winning chemical drug. It won the Nobel Prize in 2015 because it eliminated so many parasitic problems in so many countries. It is seen as a wonderful anti-inflammatory, and yet it is being denounced by any pharmaceutical company who feels threatened by something that is cheap and easy to use. And yet if you follow the words, you'll see that in India, Japan, Peru, they are having uh, Africa, where they are having amazing results using ivermectin as a first-line treatment, even a prophylactic treatment against COVID. Now, I don't care if you see this as misinformation or I'm asking you to look it up, to observe it. And all I'm saying is that what I saw as a young doctor or general practitioner was that we need to treat early and quick. And yes, that was my interest, which was knowing what needs to happen as soon as someone gets symptoms, using, if necessary, some pharmaceuticals, but maybe we can also use natural medicines in the first 24 hours, if that will help to reduce symptoms and not let something develop. Of course, again, I want you to know that I would send people to hospital if they were seriously ill, as soon as I met them. But there are times where if we catch something early enough, we can actually stop the problem becoming exacerbated. We can go from a virus and stop the bacterial infection that may result. So I see something like vitamin D, ivermectin, zinc, all of these are first line treatments that everybody should be having in their pharmacy closets or wherever you keep all your, your, your different substances. You should have it there for you, your first aid. 
And while I'm not trying to sell you any of this, I'm only asking you to understand here we are in 2021 and where are we at? Who is benefiting? Now let me think, where do we use farm, where do we use petrochemicals? Hmm, face masks, hand sanitizers, gels, antihistamines, antibacterials, pill capsules, pill bottles, uh, I said syringes, all of these things are being used today to keep alive an industry that is only building and building upon itself. I want to say that all those things are important. But will we ever ask ourselves who is actually benefiting, profiting from these medicines? And is this, this really science? Are we believing that all we're doing is keeping alive an industry that comes from dead organic material. Can we perhaps believe that dead material can never help us grow spiritually? That perhaps fresh air, exercise, laughter, food that's actually seen the ground recently, food that's taken from the tree, different aromas that have actually been taken at the right time from the earth. Can we return to ways in which we know our ancestors understood that dead material can never help us? We need to return to natural medicines, not excluding orthodox medicine, but working in complement to bring greater health to all concerned. I leave you with those thoughts. Sending much love and blessings to you all. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.